0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Miss Podcast, motivating and inspiring self-transformation. I'm your host, James Urban, with my lovely wife and co-host, Danielle. We have an amazing episode in store for you today. I feel like I say that every single time. I, I feel like every episode is an amazing episode. But this episode is specifically special because I'm going to have a friend on, a very close friend of mine. Um how do I describe Jason Kelly? JK, also known as JK Kelly, also known as Jason the court jester Kelly, also known as the Iris Aussie, also known as the Crocodile Hunter, Jason Kelly, and I'm so excited to speak with him. He is just a guy that has really opened up about his own personal struggles with mental health, and uh, him and I kind of relate on that level, I guess. Uh, We met while working for the Staten Island Yankees, the New York Yankees minor league organization, and... I just kind of grew very fond of him. He's just an amazing guy, and I'm so excited to have him on the show. All the way from England, Jason, the Court Jester Kelly. Hey, buddy. Hey, pal. I am going to have the entire world calling you Jason, the Court Jester Kelly.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, it's got to go all the way up to a satellite and then cross an ocean. It's.
2: <laughs> there we go. That's good.
0: There we go. All right. If I need
2: good. to keep drinking water, I've just got a tiny bit, tiny bit of the flu, so I'm just going to keep hydrating myself.
0: I feel like every good podcast, every good podcaster, and every good podcast needs to have their token Australian. Like okay. Okay. If, okay. You, if you don't have, so, a, if you don't have a good Australian with a good Australian accent, then your podcast is usually dog shit
2: okay okay so you've heard other podcasts with like famous people up there with me like the Hemsworths Hugh Jackman um I'm sort of in that ilk pretty much yeah Yeah, any like
0: Crocodile Dundee you know what I'm saying anytime you get one of those characters on a podcast or anytime you get Jason the Court Jester Kelly on a podcast like it's going to be a winner because people people (laughs) don't even care about what I have to say they just want to hear your accent you know yeah, I could
2: see that, mate. I could see that. Yeah. To, to be honest, I, I, I must admit, any any time I'm anywhere around Europe, I hear an Australian accent. Like I'll literally walk the other way. I find it so cringe to hear it in, you know, in public. I, I think it's a horrible accent, personally.
0: The Australian I think, accent.
2: I think it's more of a, I think it's a gimmick accent. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's horrible.
0: What about what about like the well, the New York listen. accent? All right, so let's give a, people like a little bit of a background on our on our relationship. You and I met while we were working at the Staten Island Yankees organization, the New York Yankees minor league organization, and you had already been working there before I had even gotten there. But but when I walked in the door, the first thing that you wanted. You you came right up to me and you had a million questions.
2: <laughs> that doesn't sound like me at all, man. I'm telling you, I never do that.
0: <laughs> you were you just jumped <laughs> you just jumped right on me and you were like you you were asking me about the military because the thing is is that so in the United States we say the military and this guy was a military, you know, and I was like, <laughs> man, this guy and he just had like a million questions a million questions but and i was like man this guy's this guy's kind of fucking obnoxious he's a little bit annoying and here we are but <laughs> it's it's very common though yeah. isn't it jay like when you first meet somebody when they they kind of rub you the wrong way those are i don't know maybe it's just me but every single time that i no, meet definitely. somebody it's not you <laughs> every time that it i definitely. meet somebody and like I don't get along with them at first, they they end up becoming like my best friend later on. I've noticed that. I have a terrible judgment of character.
1: How could you not So get you're basically saying... Like he's the nicest well, guy I'd, ever.
2: I'm only learning this now, Danielle, that he basically didn't like me at first. So this is groundbreaking to go Oh,
1: he's hurting I don't, I don't really... Don't worry, Jay. Don't he really does that to, to me it. all the time.
2: Oh, <laughs> no. I know. I know. But listen, before before we actually get into any talk, I, I have to make a sincere and huge apology to both of you. Um, basically what was meant to happen is to give your listeners a bit of a background is that James and I had tried to organize a couple of weeks before for me to come on and chat to you guys. And I basically selfishly sort of tentatively said, yeah, I'll come on, I'll come on. And then basically just sort of fobbed it off, forgot, Um, and unbeknown to me, the ripple effect I guess it had on you guys and what you were trying to achieve and the show and the content you're trying to put out. So in all honesty, I'm sincerely sorry if it caused any um, angst, um, upset to you guys. It wasn't an intentional thing. It was just a selfish moment where I guess – I didn't really think about the consequences of just sort of saying, oh yeah, I'll do it when I can. So in all honesty, I sincerely apologize if it has caused any angst and hopefully i make it worthwhile that I've sort of put on a bit of a delay, but we can have a, a good chat and um, make up for it this evening. Anyway.
0: Yeah, of course, man. And uh, we, we do, apo- uh, we do accept your apology and there's no reason to apologize Uh, You and I had a talk the other day about that ripple effect, and I'm kind of glad that you brought it up because I think that it kind of ties into a lot of, I don't know, I guess some of the questions that I might have for you in regards to your own uh, mental state. But before I ask a lot of those questions, do you ever feel, because for me personally, when I was like in my darkest, my deepest depressive states, I felt like I was always brushing things off. You know, I, I wasn't, Yep. you know, I wasn't always like the most reliable person. And I don't think that you're a bad guy for anything. Cause I can, cons- I consider you a dear friend of mine. So, but I also think yep. that there might be a hint of unreliability, but I don't think it's maliciously that you do it maliciously. I think that for you, it's just because you get overshadowed by you get in your own way. Maybe that's the best way to put it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a pretty good way of putting it. And I think the honest truth is, is that yeah, I'll, I'll probably try and put it in this way is that, you know, I have got a lot, hell of a lot better than what I used to be. I think probably when I was in my twenties, um, single didn't really have much responsibility apart from my job is that, you know, I would fob things off responsibilities, you know, catching up with people and just canceling at the last minute all the time. It like, it was nothing. Right. And it was a really, really good friend of mine that I was living with at the time that sort of said, look, man, you know, this is, this is called integrity. And regardless of how much you're struggling, regardless of how much, you know, you're going through, you know, you need to have, you know, there's, there's consequences to your actions. You can't just sort of keep, you know, fobbing people off or sort of saying, yeah, I'll do that and then not do it. Um, so, yeah, from my end, I guess I have been perceived a lot as um, unreliable. Um but it's something that I sort of have in my mantra now to, to try and have integrity. And that is something that I guess I battle with. Um, you know, I, want, I have the best intentions to want to do the right thing all the time, but with my, as exactly what you're saying, when I get caught up in my own head, um, that, that, you know, can sometimes not come to fruition. As you're saying, I don't do it intentionally, but it's just like I've got a million things going on in my head. I'm like, oh, it'll be right. It's fine. Or I forget about it. Or I just sort of fob it off and you know, not really worry about the consequences because you're not thinking about it at the time. And it's pretty, pretty, a pretty good summation by you. Yeah, I, I don't think it's ever malicious, but it does happen. And it's something that I'm aware of and I do try and work on. But I still make mistakes and I still sort of do slip up at times. So uh, that, that's, that's pretty much best way to describe it man
0: my my i guess man for your analysis yeah my analysis yes of i guess of it just comes from my own personal uh take on it i guess is because of where i've come from and knowing that like when i was in a like I said before, when I was depressed or when I was stressed or whatever, like I was the most unreliable person and I didn't do it to hurt anybody or whatever. I just felt any, anything else that you put on my plate for me just turned into, I just felt overwhelmed. Like I didn't know how to juggle and not one more thing, one more thing in my own brain felt like the tipping point. So other people viewed it as like, oh he's being lazy or he's being selfish or and it can come across as selfish but for me personally it was selfish
2: selfish absolutely is the word that that is is i i really it really hurts me like it probably really hurts you because like yeah i I don't think you are a selfish person either but you get caught up in your own head as well and especially when i personally saw you struggling it's exactly the same thing it's it's Perceived as selfishness, but I don't think it is. I think it is. It is just you are so caught up in your own head, um, and that's yeah, that's that's pretty much what it is, man.
0: I'm actually really you're glad just, that you brought ready? up, uh, because I think one of the great things about our relationship is that I was willing to really listen to you, kind of analyze me. Mm-hmm. And kind of tell me what you felt, and and it's something. It, a lot of the things that you said to me, I felt like, man, this guy could be a therapist. So for our listeners, uh, Jay is not a licensed counselor or therapist or anything like that. He's just he's just somebody <laughs> far from, that far from. <laughs> but you're just somebody that has, I guess, delved deep into your own. Mental health, and you didn't, you felt like it wasn't, it shouldn't be taken as such a taboo topic. Yes, I think really, really good way of putting. I think for so many years, people, and this ties in a lot with social media, people didn't felt like they were, if you talked, if you spoke about mental health or mental illness or anything like that, it was considered to be taboo. Like men weren't supposed to talk about their feelings. They weren't, they weren't supposed to talk about, you know, being upset or being stressed or being, you know, we were almost considered like, oh, he's a, he's a, a mental midget. He's a head case. And because of that, we were always cramming those feelings deep down inside of us where, oh, we can't talk about being sad. We can't talk about this. We can't talk about that. And I think what the thing about social media is that it's actually brought a lot of these things to light, you know, yeah. to where it's not as taboo. People can talk about it. It. I, I want to make it cool for people to talk about. I want people to be able yeah. to reach out and, and be open and honest about it. I think what is fascinating about our relationship is that you had brought up a lot of things that you had noticed in me. <laughs> and i think one of those things was you went into the military the military right you went into the military at a very young age and you didn't you never got a chance to experience what it was to be a college uh student that was sleeping around and got to party and got to do like all the things that come with college so directly out of high school i went into the military went overseas, uh, you know, and became a man overnight, basically, and never got to experience – I mean, not that we didn't party and we didn't drink and we didn't have fun and we didn't sleep around when we were in the military, but we had such an important job to do day in and day out that you didn't get to really enjoy it, I guess, is the best way to put it, you know? There was always, you know, you always – you'd never had a nine to five per se. It was always a 24 hour job, seven days a week. You never knew when you were on call. So like, I don't know. And then I got out of the military and, and I kind of like went off the deep end and I kind of spiraled at a very late age, I guess, you know? And it was one of yep. those things that you had brought up to me and said, you know, I feel like this is why you're acting out the way that you're acting is because you never got a chance to actually experience what it is to be a, a you know, a man in his or a teenager in, in his late teens, yeah. you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, 21 years old. I never got to experience being a 21 years old being a 21 year old in the United States. My twenty yeah. my twenty first yeah. birthday think, was overseas.
2: Yeah, and that's, that's to, to be honest, man, I think that's pretty much the best way to, to perceive how I saw it. And I mean, the thing that, that I've got the most as well is that is that your beautiful wife, Danielle, you know, she she was this amazing mature mum who was basically, from what I saw, looking after two people. Looking after your, you know, your beautiful daughter, but also, in a way, looking after you as well. And I think that that was the sort of thing that I sort of went, you know, you know, I sort of saw a lot of, a lot of myself, and that the life that I guess I lived for a long time was probably still living when I was in America, um, you know, in in you. And I think that that's that's pretty pretty much. I guess I could say I had a similar sort of um, similar sort of development through my twenties as you, I went into a very um, high pressure um, professional environment. Um, Nothing like the military and the things you experienced, but in a different context, I had to grow up very quickly um, and take on a lot of responsibility from a young age professionally, um, which meant that same as you, I couldn't go out and party with my mates on Saturday nights. And, you know, like you, I, I still got the opportunity very quickly, um, as soon as I pretty much turned 19, I was straight into a job that was very demanding and very sort of um, high pressured. And and to be honest, because I was still battling with mental, well, I I was very much in the middle of the mental health battles. I was in the wrong environment. I really needed to sort of develop and grow and make mistakes as any normal 19, 21, 19 to 21 to you know 22 year old would, rather than sort of being cooped up in this professional environment with, you know, was sports people that, you know, took everything so seriously. So I think we had parallels there. And I think that's one of the <clears throat> major reasons we were able to click um, is because I guess I saw a lot of myself in you. And also I sort of, I think, saw and thought, you know, these patterns are something that I recognize quite clearly. So I, I think it's an interesting parallel is, you know, one of the major reasons we, we did become, you know, such, we have become such good friends. Um, definitely.
0: I kind of want to throw this same question over to Danielle because I know that Danielle struggles with anxiety. She's been very Danielle. open about that herself. Um, Danielle, do you feel like, like where do you feel like that kind of developed for you? Like, Like, do you feel like you were kind of, you kind of had anxiety growing up, high school, college, that kind of thing? Or do you think it kind of developed later on?
1: Um, for me, it probably developed later on because of the responsibility level. Like when I was in school, I just had to focus on school and that was it. Like I didn't have a job as well. So it wasn't like, a. M- once I tried to throw like multiple things into the pot and try to tackle them all and I couldn't do them all perfectly at the same time, that's when everything kind of started to fall apart. And like Jay said, you know, I was worried about taking care of you rather than you taking care of yourself. So it was like I I needed to keep tabs on you. I needed to raise a child. I had a lot of dog mom guilt. I had, you know, I was trying to figure out if I was going to be working or doing something for myself that was of meaning and purpose in addition to being a mom. So I was trying to juggle a lot of things, and I think – after becoming a mom, I wanted to do that so perfectly, and when I couldn't do everything at once, that's where the anxiety stemmed from, and over the years, I guess it got worse, because I started to put even more on my plate, Mm -hmm. and having that as, like, a a burden, not a burden, but, like, hanging over my head, like, that I couldn't perfect everything that I tried to accomplish was, like, letting myself down.
2: I think, I think you know, anxiety is you know ties it. You know, I struggle with anxiety, tied in with my depression as well. And I think anxiety, you know, it's exactly what you're saying there. You, you, I, I mean, I perceive you from the outside as this amazing mum, but you say, you know, listening to your podcast in one of the first episodes, you were talking, you know, about about you know the the perfectly imperfect mum or whatever the phrase was. And I just thought it was brilliant. I mean, I. If, if, if I could have someone, and it's not just saying it because I'm on this, you know, I would tell you face-to-face, oh, I think you're the most amazing mum ever. Honestly, oh, do. Oh, thanks, I Jay. mean, dealing, dealing with that other big brat you got right next to you as uh-huh. the, the older <laughs> naughty child and then raising the beautiful daughter you have. And I know you struggle with your perfectionism and making sure that, you know, you want to give your daughter the best life you have. Um, but I think that... The, to, to put it to crystallize it perfectionism leads to anxiety and I think you know everywhere around the world especially in western culture perfectionism now is being recognized as basically anxiety and I think you know it, it, it's it's so common and you're definitely not alone in that regard but, you know you 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 wanted to to be the perfect mum you wanted to sort of have the you know, raise your daughter to, to be the most amazing thing. You put so much pressure on yourself. You know, I could see that. Um, you know, I see it now, but, you know, it's it's now the difference is I think that since James has sort of been able to really, I guess, have this transformation and be the amazing person we all knew he could be, I think that, correct me if I'm wrong, that's probably taken a lot of pressure off you as a mum and allowed you to probably still be an amazing mum, but concentrate on yourself and the things you want to do and the, and the person you want to be as well. And I think that, you know, that's that's probably um, one of the more important things is that, you know, if you are struggling with perfectionism, perfectionism anxiety, depression, having someone right there beside you to support you is, is massive, really, really important.
1: Yeah, Jay, I, I agree with you. Having him be... Um a partner and not, like you said before, kind of somebody who was who I was trying to oversee or overlook and gave me a lot of worry. Now it's more like I'm a little bit at ease. A little bit of that has been lifted off my shoulders. Like, okay, I'm not his parent. We're partners and we do this together yeah. and we support each other. And so that exactly. has lifted a little bit of the anxiety off of that aspect of it. Sure.
0: Absolutely. Do you, Jay, at what point in your own, I guess, transformation, your own growth, I know that, you know, we're always transforming and, you know, just kind of like how we started this podcast with, you know, you kind of delaying the podcast for two weeks and trying to get, you know, yep. and, and we've kind of already established that. But do you, do you feel like you've grown a lot over – a period of time, maybe since you left New York, I know that you leaving New York, you kind of felt like a bit of a failure because you didn't quite make it.
2: Yeah. 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 No, no. I mean, I, I came back from New York and, and I went into a job, um, you know, that, that, that working for, um, my, my partner's family. Um, and that really wasn't the right thing for me to do for my mental health um and yeah I, I mean I, I, I probably have just come out of a haze um, in the last you know six to nine months where I'm now in a job that I absolutely love um, and that I think has allowed me to talk about transformation I mean my mood my general demeanor my health my my just how I look has been able has been able to be transformed Um you know, massively in, in, in only the last six to nine months, you know, and I've, I've, I've been okay, you know, since I left New York, like, like I always am. But I can see now in reflection that, you know, I have transformed into the person that I want to be and the person that I always have aspired to be since I was able to lift that weight. And I guess let go of what I perceived as the failure as well, Um. But I think the important thing for me, you know, recognize the important thing I you know, say to you guys is that I'm always evolving. I'm always trying to be a better person. Every day I wake up and I want to be a better person. I want to achieve goals, but, you know, I want to tick boxes. But the biggest thing is, is you know, you talk about transformation, is that, you know, I'm just always just trying to be a better person, you know, every day, every day. I, I, don't, I don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, you know, hang on a minute. I'm going to be selfish today. I'm going to not do this. I'm going to not do that. Um, But, you know, from my end, um, and it's probably the same with you, is that unfortunately I'm one of those people who has to make mistakes to learn. And something that I did the other, you know, the, 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 the issue we had, obviously, with me delaying the podcast, you know, I've learned from that massively. I will learn that. And I will do my utmost not to do that again. I put that in my memory back and go, no, no, no. I don't want that feeling of guilt. I don't want that feeling of letting people down. I don't want that feeling of, you know, um, letting down two important people in my life that, you know, are trying to really do something amazing and yet it's just me. They're going, "Ah, nah, it'll be right, it'll wait. You know, I say that to myself now that I'm talking to you guys. I don't want that to happen again. Mm -hmm. I don't want to let these people down again. So I guess that's where I evolved. I I make mistakes unintentionally, but then I go to myself, right, I've learned that lesson. Thank you for that lesson. I'm not going to do that again. And I guess that's where I evolve. I guess that's where I'm continually evolving and trying to make those transformations by pretty much, I guess, making mistakes, unfortunately. Um, That's just how I've always been. That's how I'm wired. I think that definitely is tied into the whole issue I've had with mental health throughout my life is that, uh, i could pr- tell all my mates I could pretty much write a book on what not to do in terms of following a career or following how to have a relationship or how to do this or how to do that uh, I could tell you what I couldn't tell you what to do I could tell you what not to do
0: i think like I think we're all like that in a way though you know i'm uh, the difference between i think myself and a lot of other people and maybe yourself and a lot of other people is my my self-awareness like being able to look back and say holy shit I was a complete fuck up because people yeah. will people yeah. will live their entire lives not pointing the finger at themselves they'll live their entire lives yeah, and absolutely. they'll they'll continue to blame the same thing over and over and over again like I'm aware mm-hmm. of how I was raised I, I'm i aware of what I put my family through what I put my wife through, you know, there's a lot of people that will sit there and, and believe me, of course, like there's voices in the back of my head, just like there's voices in any, you know, ill mind. Sometimes I think that like all of the concussions that I've had have, have created like a a little stint of CET, honestly, because every once in a while, those voices in the back of my head, they just want to turn me evil. You know, they just want They want me to be an asshole. They want me to bring up the past. They want me to to blame someone else. And I have to sit there, and it doesn't happen every day, but it happens a lot of days, you know, more than I want to count. And there's a lot of days that I sit there and I think to myself, like, dude, this was your fault. Like, you know, the reason X, Y, and Z happened is because of you. Stop blaming your past. Stop blaming your wife, stop blaming your mother or your whatever. I I have to really, because the thing is, is when you're blaming somebody, you got to remember, you got to blame effectively, right? If you're going to blame them for that, all the things wrong that they did, you got to blame them for all the right things that they've done as well. And, and I've learned to do that. I, I have to say like, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, don't feel like I was raised the right way, but how do I do this? <laughs> how do I do this without completely? I had, so on the last podcast that we did, and I'm laughing because on the last podcast that we did, I really opened up and kind of ranted and I haven't dropped that podcast yet. So you really have large shoes to fill because that podcast <laughs> is, that podcast is really dope. And at one point, I was just – I think the thing is, Jay, is that since I started this podcast, I've been very honest. I've been very open. I think what I haven't been is 100% myself and Mm -hmm. that there is a raw and a gritty side to me that I don't want to ignore anymore. And the Mm -hmm. first five episodes of the podcast – actually, if you – really want to date back the podcast it goes beyond the audio because we started doing the facebook live every single week since what september october time frame daniel so ever you know we were doing it weekly and we have not missed a week yet every single sunday Mm -hmm. i don't think we've missed a week or maybe maybe we've missed one because of vacation or something like that but every single week we put out a podcast and every single week i have to sit here and I'm like, all right, don't say the wrong thing. You don't want to offend this one. You don't want to offend that one. And the thing is, I'm mm-hmm. like, if if those people are offended by something that I'm going to say, then they're probably my, not my audience. But I can't continue yeah. to bite my tongue and not say the things that I truly feel and the things that I feel like are truly going to inspire somebody. It might not be the, the person that wants to mm-hmm. feel inspired, you know, and maybe my change of demeanor is going to upset some people. And, and I'm really sorry about that. And I hope that they can find some form of content that I produce to find inspiration or to find motivation. Um, if my harsh language upsets somebody or or delivers the wrong message then i'm sorry for that but i cannot censor myself anymore because then i am doing a disservice not just to myself but to the, all my listeners that listen in every single week and that that number continues to grow week after week after week at um at such a significant scale and i'm so pleased and i'm like I tell people to be themselves and to be open and to be honest about who they are and not to change for anybody and here I am doing that exact thing. So what kind of message am I truly delivering if I'm if I'm biting my tongue every single if I'm dancing around issues or dancing around certain things. So anyway, back to last night on the podcast I had mentioned about growing up in a household in which I was abused, right? That I felt like I was abused. Not every single day, but I had an alcoholic stepfather that every once in a while felt like he he needed to get handsy. And I grew up in that that household, you know? And I can't sit here and blame him for that without saying, I'll tell you what, though. He was a great provider. I think that he really did love us. He just didn't know how to show it. And you have to think about where he came from because he's told me stories growing up about what his father and his mother used to do to him and how he grew up in, a, in an abusive family. And I'm sure that he tried to, tu- to tone some of those things, that, to tune, yeah, to tune some of those things that happened to him as a child down when he eventually approached my family. Right. When he had his own family, he probably tried to, to, I guess, not be as aggressive or whatever. So I guess the thing is, there's a there's that trickle down effect. Right. There's that trickle down effect where he grew up in a true in a house that was truly chaotic and abusive. And there was alcohol involved and there was physical violence and that kind of thing we probably just got a slither compared to what he got, right? And in my house, it is it is absolutely not tolerated. You know, Danielle and I probably have a, a, a lot more verbal arguments than I ever really want to have. Um, but at the end of the day, I know that it's not anything in compared to what my mom went through in her relationships, I know that yeah. it's nothing compared to the physical violence in which she endured in two marriages. I know that I would never mm. lay a hand on my child. Never. I spanked my daughter one time, dude, and it was the worst feeling I've ever gotten in my life. I I think yeah. about that yeah. every once in a while, and I'm like, that is the worst thing I've ever done, ever. And I spanked her because mm. she wouldn't go outside and play. What a fucking terrible yeah. thing. And the thing is, is that I always... I grew up in a household in which spanking and a smack across the face when you were disrespectful was okay. We we teach our children yeah. these these traits, but yet we say I don't want I I want to raise a kid that's nonviolent. I want to raise a kid that knows how to to talk about their problems. I want to raise a kid that knows how to discuss um th- that knows how to discuss their differences to work out their differences through verbal communication and then we go and smack the fuck out of them when they misbehave and it's like well that's kind of counterproductive isn't it
1: yeah and i think what james is describing is you know the change of generation too a lot of things aren't as tolerant now as they used to be but at the same time you have to understand where somebody came from in order to understand where they're trying to go
0: yeah. What yeah. What about you? Think what about you your were... household growing up? Like, what What did that look like? I'm I'm. Yeah, curious I, probably, I
2: was about to evolve into that as well. I mean, I mean, you you've got to see Australia as a very, um, very. We we call it a blokey mentality. So I guess that is a, you know, to to your American listeners, all, all all of your American listeners, it's a very male dominated, very sort of, you know, the man works. You know he works hard. He works in the hot sun. He gets dirty. He comes home. He drinks a beer. The wife puts the food on his table, and then he goes down to the local pub. Um, that's the environment that I grew up in. But so did everyone in my town. I, you know, we've discussed this before. Where I grew up as a town of, you know, four to five thousand people, very similar to where you grew up, James. You know, in the in a smaller sort of, you know, town where everyone knows everyone's business. Right. My my unfortunately my dad's priority <clears throat> when I was growing up was his mates. And we never missed out on anything, but no one in our town really ever had money. So we always had Christmas presents. It was always food on the table. We have always you know, fed and clothed and whatnot. But it was that old school, as I call blokey mentality that, you know, um, mum was the one to look after the kids, where dad was there to put food on the table. And sort of, you know, be there in and about as a dad, probably more by name than actually, you know, by being there in physical stature. Um, But like you, I mean, I grew up where, you know, it was nothing for my mum to put soap in my mouth for swearing, um, to get whacked, you know, with a wooden spoon, um, to sort of, you know, um, I remember vividly when I was about six years old, my dad coming home you know, from the pub when I was um, asleep at 9.30 at night and I'd lied to him. He hated lying and I lied to him about the most minute thing about these collectible cards, um, sort of similar to basketball cards, and I'd lied to him about who I'd swapped one with because we used to collect them together. He woke me up at 9.30, dragged me out of bed. I was six and he ripped them up in front of me, every single one of them. And abused the shit out of me at 9.30 at night after basically being, you know, drunk out of his mind, so to speak, with my mum unable to do anything and just have to sit back. And that sort of stuff sticks in your mind now. And you sort of think that, you know, if that was done today, as Danielle's talking about generational, I mean, there'd probably be charges pressed. There'd probably be, you know, stories on Facebook. You know, it's just a different world we live in. But that stuff that, you know, my mom, you know, washing my mouth, that was soap. My dad sort of, you know, yelling at me, you know, as a six-year-old at 930 at night, dragging me out of bed. That was the norm. That was a normal thing to happen, not only in my hometown, not only in my country, but all around the world. Looking
0: back on it, I'm sorry, not to interrupt you because I I do want to get this question because I will forget it. Do you feel like looking back on it that it was abuse?
2: No. I don't think it was abuse, um, but in the modern day and the norms and values we have, it probably was. I don't see it as that way. It definitely scarred me. It definitely scarred me like it scarred you. Probably like Danielle probably has instances of her mum and dad yelling at her and 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 sort of, you know, maybe getting, you know, a, a smack for, for speaking back or anything like that, but it was the norm. Mm. So to say it was abuse, I don't see it that way. Others now looking back at it, they may see it as abuse, but for me, it's the scarring that it has mm. um, going forward into adulthood. You now, you know, without going into another topic completely, because I know you want to finish this, you know, section off. But you know, it's 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 a case of literally the down the track that you know we all people our age, you know, the 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 generation we are all carry those scars into our adulthood that you know in some way shape or form affect now how we live our lives and make our decisions. And I think that that now um, you know we're only just starting to realize, which is pretty scary to be honest.
1: I think what's interesting from a psychology standpoint is, well first of all, you're totally right. like there are certain instances that you remember from your childhood you know as far back as maybe three, four years old, that are, like you said, Jay, scars that you endure. But it's funny how it, or it's interesting, I wouldn't say funny, it's interesting how they're all those negative situations. Like you don't think about all the positive things or the happy things that might have happened. And I think I still do this in adulthood. Like when I think about James and I relationship, he always will get upset with me for bringing up like one instance where something, you know, we had a, a great vacation but I'll bring up like the one instance where we had a fight for you know a half an hour but the whole rest of the positive things that happen on that trip you know are totally negated from that one negative thing and I think that's just how the human brain works you focus on the, the I think
2: negative. that's I think that's a fe- I think that's a female thing across the board without without stereotyping I think I, I get the same and I'm sure there are other men all around the world that might get that instance from from females, where you know it's 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 definitely the way the human brain is 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 wired in that regard. That yeah, that
1: right. But I mean, you're, your your dad could have done so many things right, but you're you know you remember that one thing, that one instance where he ripped up your cards, and that's going to stick. Absolutely, you, you know.
2: Absolutely, definitely, yeah. And, yeah, and I isn't re- it amazing that you're exactly right? That you know, I I I, I love my childhood. I had an amazing childhood. Yes, I remember my dad and his drinking and. And those instances and whatnot, but you know, it's it's it was a small element of my childhood that's had the scars. But there was a mountain of other amazing things that did happen. So you're absolutely right. It's 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 the human brain just pulling out those negative things and the impact. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I think now that you you say that, like I don't know, because I I guess in today's standard, it probably would be considered what I endured as a child considered to be abuse. In fact, it sounds like our fathers would have been best friends because <laughs> he was the same exact way. And it was just a different time. It, w- it was a different time period. But I remember, you know, there my mother hanging the report card from the refrigerator. And see, the thing is, my stepfather never came directly home. Never. Not a single fucking day that I can remember he always had to stop at the bar first and then he came home you know and he was a very I guess operational drunk you know he I guess a function you know he's a very functional alcoholic I guess guess and and you wouldn't necessarily know he was drunk he would just come in and Every once in a while, he would be in a chipper mood. Every once, but more times than not, he was in a shit mood. He was mad because, you know, but you, you refer to the people in your town as blokey. And I guess in the United States, we would consider it very blue collar, right? Kind of living paycheck to paycheck.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yep. Um, Never, it's not like we didn't have food on the table. It's not like we couldn't afford. Clothes, we didn't have the finest, you know, vehicles in the driveway or the biggest house. Um, you know, we were making ends meet, but that's about all we were doing. Our uh, looking back, if my father didn't drink and both my parents were completely sober. Right. Who knows how much money would have been put away rather than spending yeah. $40 at the bar every single day. You know, maybe we could Every have taken day. that extra vacation. I mean, that's, again, it, I'm, I'm not faulting him for that. That was just the, you got to think that's the way he grew up. When Danielle and I first got together, there was a point in which I told her and she, we were just talking about this the other night. There was a point in which I told her, if you don't like my drinking, then there's the front door. Like I will, like and looking back on, like, oh my God, that's the most insane thing. I was willing to choose alcohol over my relationship. Yeah. But the thing is, is yeah. that's the way that I grew up. I grew up in a family in which the husband goes out and has drinks every single Sunday f- and watches football at the bar. Yeah. And yeah. like you say, do you know that- what
2: the biggest thing is, man? Yeah. It's it's all you knew. I think the easy, the best way to put it is it's all you knew. When you don't see anything else around you and you think that that's the norm, then how, how else are you meant to know what to do, how to live? And I think that's, that's the, the way you're saying is, is, is the best way to put that. You didn't know anything else. You thought that that was the norm, that was the social norm.
0: It's interesting because my, my biological father, who, you know, had uh, him and my mother had, you know, he, he left when I was very, very young you know, uh, I guess I was probably in first grade, you know, maybe even younger than that kindergarten when he, when he left and him and I went 13 years without speaking to each other. I think it was when I went to his house to visit after years and years and years of not talking of years of not seeing each other. And him and I decided that we were going to have this reunion and staying at his house for the weekend. I saw a different relationship than what my mom and my stepfather had the relationship that my dad had was like he was kind of a clown I noticed that he despite the fact that 13 years had passed between us seeing each other that him and I were insanely alike like blood is thicker than water you know and you realize like I could have went 25 years without seeing this man and like our lat our our style of comedic relief was the same. Our laugh is the same. The way that, you know, we kind of both have a, I guess, an off-color way of looking at the world, you know, Uh, the way that we joke. I also noticed that he loves his wife the same way that I love my wife, kind of jokingly and, you know, like lovingly, but also he he needs to be the center of attention, you know, and I was like, oh my God, this guy. And then I, I realized that, I was. I don't want to say this the wrong way, but I was almost like raised under the same uh, under the wrong roof, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Absolutely. And I, I don't Absolutely. mean to
0: say that in a way like I didn't have it good. I had a gr- like I had a great upbringing, you know. Mm. I I felt like, in today's standard, there was probably abuse, you know. to To get yeah. your your ass kicked. The way that I look at grades is not the same way that my parents looked at at grades in in grade school. Like if I got a if I got a D or an F, I got my ass kicked. If my daughter came in with a D and an F, I honestly I would be a little bit disappointed, but I, I don't think I'd really give a shit. Like I know that's not the yeah. the end all to everything that she is as a person. My parents yeah. looked at, you know, a a D in mathematics and third grade mathematics as the fucking end of the world and I would get my ass whooped for that.
1: But all of these things, I have to stop you because whose fault is it? Like, Or a fault, I don't know if that's the right word, but whose responsibility is it? If the third grader doesn't have good grades, it's because the parent isn't helping them. If the teenager is smoking, it's probably because the parents are smoking and setting that example. So I think as a parent, Absolutely. I would take full responsibility if Valentina came home with a D or with cigarettes
2: yeah is is, is there yeah, i mean i i look at i mean i was i was terrible at school i mean my grades i don't i don't even want to think what my grades were but but it, it was the same thing i look at now and and just you know the, the way that you guys raised valentina or the, the way a lot of my friends raised you know their kids it's an emphasis on making sure that they're, they're they're mental as you're saying they're able to talk they're able to communicate they're able to what what we're teaching them what you guys are teaching you know, Valentina is so different. The emphasis on grades you look at now and you sort of think, you know, why did they care so much? Why was there such an emphasis? Why did they put so much pressure on us? Which probably in turn meant, you know, and as you're talking about the smoking, that's probably giving, you know, two fingers to it and saying, well, you know, I'm going to get shit grades because you're putting such an emphasis on it, um, you know, which is probably another thing within itself. But, you know, it's it's... It's it's something I look back on now and think, you know, I got the same thing. The emphasis on grades was just crazy. And I'm sure, you know, you, you guys say it. If Valentina came home and said, look, you know, I've, I've, got a, I've, I've got a bad mark for this, you guys would actually sit down and say, look, how can we help? You know, what, 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 what do you think's, you know, going wrong? You would actually talk to her and communicate her, whereas we'd all just get our asses kicked, to be honest. And I know it's not funny, but to make light of it, it's it just such... A different environment A different world That we're in there
0: Yeah Parenting and, Parenting you know, has definitely Changed a tremendous amount Like Yeah uh, We tell my I tell my daughter Like do whatever You want to do You know I want yeah. you to do something yeah, You don't have to do What I, I want you to do Or You know I, I My daughter told us You know We actually talk about this In a podcast My daughter talks about Wanting to start A YouTube channel Like if I would have Came awesome. home And told my you know, my stepfather, like, I want to be a professional video game player. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like, I want to make videos yeah, for a living. Absolutely. They would, He would have whooped my ass and told me to get a job. Like, I started yeah. working when I was 14 years old, dude, 13 years old. Maybe even younger yeah. than that, honestly. Like, I, I, I started scooping ice cream probably, mm, yeah, in eighth grade. Eighth grade summer could going you, into my could freshman Could you year.
2: imagine me, man? I used to work at McDonald's. Can you imagine me flipping burgers like the person you know me as now doing that job? Oh, at 14? No, not a
0: chance, dude. The
2: scars are still there, man, that <laughs> job, I'm telling you. <laughs> oh, horrible, horrible. But it's interesting, going back to what you are saying, man, is that, you know, obviously, as you know as well, is that, um, you know, my, my dad, obviously, and mum separated when I was eight. So I was in the second grade, as you would say. it, And then I had a very... um Probably different um, step stepdad, so to speak, come into my life. Who probably, looking back at it now, and through the therapy and everything I've been dealing with now, probably had the most significant impact in terms of negative um, things that happened in my life. Same thing. I I've moved away from blaming things and the past and all that sort of thing, as we've spoken about before. But hearing the parallels between the stepfather that influenced you and the things you remember and the stepfather that, so to speak, that I had, who came in my life at a similar time. And what gets me now is that, you know, I, 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 I see it and see it exactly the same as you, that my dad and I are basically exactly the same as you, so similar, same laugh, same character, same personality. And i look at it as well and the same as you and go, you know, would it be different? Would my mental health be different? Would my depression be there if I grew up with my dad, my, my biological father rather than, than the stepdad that grew up and, and in the environment that I was? And he was never physically abusive. He wasn't a drinker, but he was a manipulator and he was mentally abusive. he would put me and my sister down so much, to a point where we just basically felt like we we're worthless and useless um and that sometimes i think can be you know on par with, with the physical element of it but it's just so interesting hearing you say that and obviously we've discussed it before but the parallels of of you know obviously your dad left the same time and, and you've got a similar character to your dad and etc etc but you know, it's, it's it's so interesting to hear that, you know, I've, to be honest, I've, I've never really looked at it in that way to think if my dad was there. But as I look at it now, I think, would I be different? Would I be a different character? Would I be, you know, not have had the, the ongoing mental health issues that I have if things were different?
0: Man, it's just, this whole thing is just kind of blowing my mind a little bit, like how much our our fathers were alike, but how our viewpoint of it is so different, you know, cause Mm. so obviously because me and my father, we hadn't spoke for so many years later on in life. My sister had told me like who grew up with him under the same roof and told me like how incredibly abusive he was verbally, you know, how he would, you know, put her down because of this or that. And I was like, Really, that like, are we talking about the same guy? Because I never knew him as that. I always knew him as like the guy that would just make me laugh. You know, he he was yeah. more of a friend than a father, I guess. Talking yeah. to him now, and finding like the more that I'm finding out about my family, and here I am, 35 years old, st- like I'm still learning about him. Like I'm still, yeah. I I still don't know a lot of my family members. I still don't know all of their life experiences and everything like that. And when I talk to like when I, the more that I find out about my dad and him telling me about his mental state and how he struggled with depression, I mean, dark depression, how he too had suicidal thoughts years and years and years ago, how today his, I, I, f- I feel like a lot of his physical ailments are due to years of just killing himself mentally you know and i guess the thing is and and that's just like any great comedian is that they hide behind the tears of a clown you know you you look at guys like um, robin williams you know who took his own life and you were like how how did the one of the funniest men to ever walk this earth how did he take his life you know and i think comedy comes from a very dark place is because you had to use Comedic relief to get through the damages of, I guess, being in an abusive household. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. And I think absolutely.
0: that's how I use that's how I use comedy, and I, and I still use comedy today. Like I use it as a way to break tension or to to get the to break to break the tension or to get the attention off of me, you know, I, I use it to, you know, not to, I, I always point the thing, like I always point the joke at myself, you know, to get people laughing at me rather than angry at me, you know? And I, and I see that he does, he does the same exact thing. He, he, he's never a malicious, you know, like uh, a malicious comedic, comedic, um, I don't know, uh, personality. It's always like he's never trying to pick on somebody individually. He Most of the jokes are pointed back at himself. And I realize that knowing what I know about myself, that that's actually a way that he copes with a lot of his depression, a lot of his anxiety, and a lot of his stress. A- anytime that I speak with him, again, this is also the taboo, Right? him and i have discussed uh stress we've discussed depression and how it kind of runs in our family he says that his father also was depressive how much do you think of like your own depression and that kind of thing your own mental health has to do with something that was uh, biological uh genetical i guess genetics
2: Really, really, really pertinent question. I guess that's the million-dollar question. Um, I, I think for me, it's it's definitely a bit of both. Um, I mean, my mum, my being completely honest and open, is, is on being medicated for a long time. Um, she's been depressed most of her life. Um, but fortunately for me is that I have probably developed the tools and, and been hungry to learn about my mental health and, and got the right help and, and being, you know, talking to good people like yourself and Danielle, talking to my other friends, reading books, listening to podcasts, watching YouTube. You know, I'm, I'm, my thirst for knowledge to learn about why I do the things I do is, is second to none. You know, I'm, I'm actually really good about that. Um, and my self-awareness through having my illness has really helped me. Um, but I think I basically had to grow up very quickly when I was about 15, and my mum started to drink really heavily when my stepfather left the house after having an affair. Um, so I was there picking up the pieces with my mum, putting her to bed every night, um, you know, having um, you know, men come around to the house um, that would be there to see my mum taking on all this stuff as a 15 year old and having to grow up really quickly. Um, which has probably led to you know to me now really sort of i guess struggling to adapt to becoming you know an adult at the age I am now as well which is a you know another discussion point but to answer your question as clearly as I can I think it's probably a 50-50 split for me there is depressive elements on both my mum's and my dad's side but also a lot of the depression that I developed came from when I was in my teens carrying a lot of pain and a lot of burden, having watched my mum basically destroy her own life and having to uh, take on a lot of that and look after her. And then, you know, through that, a lot of the behaviours that I developed and the environments that I was in and, and you know, just, just were all not right for me. But through that, I say to anyone that's struggling with depression and anyone that's struggling with any sort of mental health, you know, learn, you learn so much about yourself. You know, anyone that has any mental health issue will tell you that their self-awareness um, of themselves and picking up triggers on other people is probably one of the only upsides you can actually have of any mental health. That it does give you this innate ability to pick up on cues that others can't. Where you see someone's really struggling at work, you might see them and you might go, hang on a minute, they're a little bit off from what they normally are. You know, I wonder if they're going through something similar to who I am and then starting a conversation with them that someone who might not be struggling with mental health can do. So uh, I guess, yeah, man, it's it's definitely a 50-50 split for me. It's some some hereditary, but also some through um, circumstances in my life that have happened that, that really sort of, um, you know, triggered, you know, an ongoing sort of thing. Um The hardest part for me, man, is that um, I probably have been battling with depression and anxiety for the best part of 15 years, you know, since I was in in high school. Um, My pattern has been I'll be good for a year to 18 months, maybe even six months, but I would then crash for a period of time. And that has been the pattern since I was 15. So I came to New York, for example, in a really good space, a really positive person, really sort of you know energetic about coming to the, the greatest city in the world. And then I couldn't get a job for a period of time because of visa issues, so that really sent me down. And then I'd come back up when I got a job and I was enjoying it and I met great people like yourself and the other guys that we worked with at Staten Island. I was working in baseball for a Yankees organisation, all these amazing things. But then Kim, my partner, was really struggling And then we made the decision to come back to the UK. So that sent me back down for a period of time. So the frustrating element to me is, more than anything with mental health, is that I've had peaks and troughs. And just as I feel, I'm starting to really grasp it because I'll never rid myself of depression. I'll always have it. That's how I manage it. Just as I feel like I'm able to sort of get on a plateau, I'll come back down again. And that, I think, is the most frustrating part of of my whole battle with mental health for the last 15 to 20 years and that's that's pretty much summarizes it is, is that you know it, it's it's you're taking on probably behaviors of my mum with the depression that she had but also all the way going back to you know when I was a kid and then and then leading into the worst of it when I was a teenager and I've never really been able to get a complete grasp on it 100%
0: all right, so I do have a follow-up question to that. When did you become self-aware that you felt like you did have some type of mental illness, that there was some type of depressive uh traits, I guess, personality traits?
2: So, I think as I said when I was about 15, I think I, you know, was was having these crazy up and down moods and, you know, wouldn't talk to people for days and wouldn't be able to eat. My mum didn't have an understanding of it, you know. I was just a teenage kid, um, you know, to her, and and then, you know, that was the early two thousands. I mean, it was still relatively unknown there. You know, you had depression, as you were saying. You're you're a bit of a nutcase. You know, you're a bit. Oh, you know, he's he's not quite right. When I was 21, and I first started working in in the professional sport environment that I did. Um, my mum came to visit me at the city I was studying at the time, and said, "Look, you know, we, we need to get you medicated because you can't keep having these moods that've been going on for six or seven years." Mm. So it was when I was 21, when I was twenty one, my mum took me to the doctor, and I was medicated for the first time when I was twenty one. So and I'm now thirty five, so that's you know a long time of being medicated. Um, but the self awareness element, I mean, phew, it took a long time. It took a long time. Um, I really don't think I started to become self-aware till I probably left my professional job in sport, um, maybe around the age of 24, 25. Um, yes, I was having counselling. Yes, I was medicated. Yes, I was, you know, reading these books. But there wasn't really a grasp of, you know, okay, we're we're dealing with something ongoing here because all I wanted to do was rid of it. I wanted to rid of it. It was so still little understanding of, of mental health and depression um, around that time that it was sort of like, you know, I was I was one of few. I guess you could say, I don't know, I, I, I hope people don't take offense to, to me saying this, but I guess I, I had depression when it wasn't cool. Mm. I had depression when there was no celebrities that were coming out and saying, hang on, hands up, I'm struggling here. You know, I was, my, my friends were very aware um, my my family was very aware, but it was sort of you know like oh don't tell anyone else because you know we don't want people to judge you know we don't want you to lose your job because you've got mental health. That's how it was, man. That's how it was. If 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 I now if I now came out and said you know put my hand up and said I had mental health you know I'd be given a week off work. I'd be given all the support I need. I'd be given you know everything. And I think that's the best thing that could have happened because you know. I don't know what the statistics are in America, and that's maybe something you know for you guys to, to put out on on the on the web page on the on the Facebook page after. But in Australia, it is the suicide from depression, mental health related issues, the biggest killer of men between mm. eighteen and eighteen and forty five. You know, second to none. So it's it's been you know, only being started to um, become relevant, you know, now in reality, in, in in the last, you know, four or five years. And that's the um that's that's the scary part about it. Um so yeah, man, I, I guess probably since I was about fifteen, but the self awareness part is something that I'm now can just comfortably say I fully grasp and understand. I still make the mistakes that I do, but they happened less and less I'm more comfortable with who I am today than what I was probably last year the year before the year before that every year I feel I evolve and get more self-aware and I think that is the most important part of being able to live a happy and healthy life alongside depression and having to deal with the elements of that every day
0: I honestly tell people all the time that if self-awareness was a drug that I could sell you know, in a pill form, because when I started to actually look at my own life and started to really digest of who I was and what makes me tick, man, things just got so much better for me and so much happier. Even though that I was uncovering my my deepest flaws in life, even though I was having to drag out a lot of negativity, a lot of negative I guess a lot of my negative past, you know, and, and understanding exactly what makes me tick. It wasn't until then that I just, that I was like, Hey, listen, I I can actually handle a lot of this now that I know who I am as a person, you know, and, and I want people, if there's one thing that anybody gets from this podcast or from any of my, my talks or, or like, you know, all the people that are messaging me now and want my my opinion on certain things and and that's one of the biggest things is like listen you have to know who you are and you have to understand you know where what what makes you go up and what makes you go down. I tell people all the time man don't ride the roller coaster you can't ride the roller coaster you can't have those extreme highs and extreme lows. you're gonna have a good day and when you have those good days, you gotta you gotta consider it a small victory. No matter how big of a victory that may be, you have to you embrace have to just say, That's what I yeah, I say embrace, embrace it the good and, day. Exactly, dude. And, and you just and have to embrace
2: the bad days as well.
0: Yeah. And you just have to take it as like it's just one small building block. But when when bad things happen, the the thing is is that, you know, somebody gets a new job and all of a sudden, it's the greatest day of my entire life and look at all the money I got and look at the new this and the new that and then this and then that and they start riding this in this incredible wave but just like you know at Mavericks you know that wave eventually does crash and when it crashes you are going to be on the bottom of that wave and i tell people all the time don't don't ride that wave don't ride that roller coaster just take things in stride and continue to live a level playing field now, you don't want to ever flatline but, you know, obviously, you're going to have some good days. You're going to have some bad days. But just like the, the, the stock market, you know what I'm saying? Anytime that there's a peak, yeah. there's going to be a valley. Yeah. And you're it's going to happen trough.
2: quick. There's going to be a trough. You know? Yep. You know, on, on saying that, man, um, you know, the, the interesting part, and Danielle will be able to, to you know, come in on this as well, is that, you know, when, when I knew you and you were going through, you know, obviously what you've commented before in previous podcasts is the worst struggling time in your life in 2017 when, you know, when you and I struck up our friendship mm-hmm. is that there was a real thing. Like, you, you talk about self-awareness and you talk about, you know, you, you know accepting yourself, you know, who you are and these sort of things. I think you, from an observation, really didn't like who you were and I think you were running away from that and that was the drinking. That was the, you know, the, the partying and, and the elements that came with that. And I think that when a very good friend of mine in Australia said to me, you can never love someone else unless you love yourself first. Mm. And I think that's so pertinent with how I knew you and hearing this amazing, you know, balanced um, person you've become now and the person that I knew you could be and Danielle knew you could be and everyone that knew you knew you could be. I mean, we all saw it, but I think you need to realize it. You needed to realize it yourself.
0: And you but had so much to think, do with I my think, transformation. You, you really did have a lot to do with my transformation because it was a lot of our talks, and I think back a lot about those on those talks. I think you kind of opened, you cracked the door open to that self-awareness by kind of telling me, maybe not telling me, but kind of, Yeah. Like we discussed before, analyzing, you know, me going into the military and not being able to live, you know, and and I, I hold on, I held on to that. And I thought about a lot of our conversations. And um, I just remember you telling me in regards to a lot of my partying and you were just, I remember you telling me like, you know, I'll never judge you, but it's just not cool. And yeah, it kind of chokes me up, like just thinking about. It. I don't want to cry on, you know, on a, on the podcast, but like it kind of fucks me up a little bit because it wasn't cool. There was nothing cool about the way that I was living, and like you said, maybe I was running from something. Um, I I think I was just I had a terrible relationship with my family. Um, I think we talk about taboo and how like your mother struggles with. Uh, you know, depression and that kind of thing. And the thing is, is that I remember specifically, and not to make this all about me, but I'm going to make this all about me, right? (laughs) (laughs) I remember when I came out of the military and I didn't have a job. I had, I didn't have two nickels to to rub together. Nickels are American coin, okay? I want to make that very clear. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for that. (laughs) I didn't have two nickels to rub together. I didn't have I didn't have a job. Danielle and I were in a fresh relationship. Um and then I remember Danielle uh you know, I had gotten out of the military and I was staying at her house for a period of time. Like my own family, I remember getting out of the military and my my stepfather saying, "I don't know where you're going to stay, but you can't stay here."
2: That hurts, man
0: you know, you can't stay. you can't sit here, you know, just like the old, uh, the old Forrest Gump. Gump. Yeah. You can't sit here. And I was like, and here I was, I was like, I don't know where I'm going to sit. Thank God. It was Danielle's mother. Who's an absolute angel that didn't even know me from a fly on the wall was like, well, you you can't live on the street. You're going to stay here. And angel is an
2: understudy. That woman, that woman is beyond an angel. She's, she's mother Teresa reincarnated that woman.
0: And here we are all these years later, and to to think that Danielle was always there for me, and I wasn't there for myself. You know, I didn't know how to deal with the stress. I didn't know how to deal with that. you know, I hate using stress, anxiety, and depression, those three words over and over and over again. I wanted to die. I wanted to no longer be on this earth, and I didn't know how to deal with that. I didn't know how to deal with the thoughts that were constantly running in my head that I'm just not, I'm never going to feel better. I'm never going to be happy. I'm never going to be myself. You know, the old James is gone. I kept telling myself, the old James is gone. The person that was happy and funny and I don't know. But now looking back and I think about my mother in retrospect and my mother to this day, whenever I bring up traumatic brain injury, which I've been diagnosed with, or p- post-traumatic stress disorder, or because of you know any other mental illness that I that I've you know s- seeked counseling or seeked therapy for. My mother's like, you don't need counseling, and I tell my mother like, Ma, I honestly I think all of us, everybody on this earth has something. Absolutely. Everybody Absolutely. has something that's wrong with them, and my mother, not not me, like she is one of those people that. She honestly thinks that mental health and mental illness is completely taboo and she doesn't like it discussed. And if she ever gets on this podcast, she's going to fucking hate me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Listen, man, I've I've got to get up in four hours. I seriously have to go. (laughs) Just as my beautiful partner pop her head in and just tell me to not be so stupid and go to bed. (laughs) Listen, I want want to
1: thank you for being on.
2: No, listen. I want to say to you guys, as I've wanted to, I've said to James nearest time since I've been back here. I mean, I'm so firstly proud of you, James, with how you've been able to look within the deepest, darkest parts of yourself and actually say, "Listen, what I'm doing and what I've done, and and you know who I've become and who I was being is not is not cool." Um, and to be able to sort of pull yourself out of that hole and now be doing the amazing things you are. And as, as your, as your, as your mate, I'm so proud of you, man. And, and, you know, it takes courage to do that, to be able to sort of put your hand up and say, hang on, I'm not being authentic. I'm, I'm living a life that's not, you know, not right. The things, the things I was doing, um, and you know what I what I wanted you to do the whole time that I knew you, finalise what I was saying. All I wanted you to do was was to recognise the beautiful wife that you had right beside you that was willing to you know do whatever you needed to do to you know get yourself better and get yourself into a into a mental space and 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 you know be the loving husband and loving dad which I knew you could be and and. I mean, I'm just I'm I'm really proud of you personally, but also you know Danielle for being a the amazing mum that she you know has always been, but be on the other side of it you know being able to take the time to say, do I want to be with this guy? Can he change? Can he evolve? Can he sort of be the person that I always knew he had in him? And I look at the life you guys are living now, and no one deserves it more. You're living in a beautiful area of the world, beautiful part of the world. You've got a good life. You're doing amazing things on the weekend. You guys went to Daytona on the weekend. You know how jealous I am of that. (laughs) Um, And you're living in the sunshine every day. I mean, that's just... No one deserves the life that you guys are living now more than both of you. You've both done really hard yards. You've both been through a lot of shit. A lot of shit. You come out the other side now and what you're doing is actually helping people by saying, this is what we went through. We want to be able to help you by talking about ourselves and being so transparent as you are. Because it's not easy putting yourselves out there and saying, hang on, this is these are the fuck-ups I made. These are, This is the person I was. These are things I was doing. That's not easy. So keep doing what you guys are doing um, and keep living the awesome life that you guys deserve because um, you know, I'm just sitting back watching this in the podcast thinking how awesome it is as your friend we um, couldn't be prouder. So, you're Appreciate doing. that, bud. Brilliant.
1: Thanks,
2: All right, Jake. listen. I've got to get up in four hours. So you guys, right, take you care. I'll be I'll be listening in every week.
0: All right. Sounds okay, good. Love you, See you yeah, guys. Love you too, buddy. And that was Jason Kelly, J.K. Kelly. What an amazing talk. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Absolutely. It just opens up the conversation from a different perspective for a lot of things that we have been talking about. And stress and depression is very common these days. And I think the expectations that we have are different from what they used to be. So it's good to be able to talk about it and to have open dialogue about the things that go on in our heads.
0: Guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Miss Podcast, motivating and inspiring self transformation with JK Jason Kelly. You can find all the episodes at anchor.fm slash The Miss Podcast. You can also find us on Spotify by simply searching The Miss Podcast. Uh, You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public. But you can find all of the links by simply going to anchor.fm slash podcast And as always, if you are struggling with the person looking back at you in the mirror, whether you're struggling with your weight, your self-esteem, your confidence, your happiness, or just your outlook on life in general, reach out to Danielle and I and let us help you get your life back. Our program is medically endorsed and scientifically proven. Begin your transformation journey today. Reach out at themistpodcast.321 at gmail.com or on Facebook Messenger at Podcast. Everybody, daydreamers, get healthy, America.